Gold is for the mistress, silver for the maid, copper for the craftsman, cunning at his trade. Good, said the baron, sitting in his hall, but iron, cold iron, is master of them all. Those are words from writer and poet Rudyard Kipling, found on a wall inside of the Cold Iron Brewery in Ironwood, Michigan. They're not to the mining industry that's richly ingrained into the area, as is common in much of the Upper Peninsula. Another industry that has been ingrained into this community in particular for the last 60 years is Jackwart Fabric Products, which to this day is still run by the Jackwart family. I was lucky enough to be given a tour of their facility by Gina Jackwart Thorson, who is the president of the famous brand that we all know and love, Stormy Cromer. I've gotten to know Gina over the last year for my involvement in the Cromer Society brand ambassador program, so it was really awesome to have a chance to sit down with her for this episode of the podcast. So, without further ado, let's chat it up. Okay, I'm here in beautiful Ironwood, Michigan, and actually I am in the headquarters of Stormy Cromer. I'm a little bit kind of shell-shocked in a way. I'm here with <laughs> with Gina Jackwart Thorson. Gina, thank you, first of all, for coming on the podcast. I'm really happy to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it, it's it's truly an honor. I'm I'm a really big fan and and kind of geeked out right now. But I'm gonna just kind of jump right into everything here. So you're born and raised in Ironwood here. What was it like for you growing up in Ironwood? Oh, that's a really good question. It was, uh, you know, to be honest, we're here in our family's business. The family business was a huge part of my growing up. Okay. So, um, it's like. You know, everyone knew me, right? Because sure. I was, you it's know, a, your business owner's kid, right? Yeah. So everyone knows who you are. Sure. And so there's a little bit of responsibility, and I can't screw around too much because mom and dad are definitely going to yes. find out. Um, but it was, a, it was a great childhood. I grew up um, in a, actually, a, my great aunt's old house okay. that my parents bought. And um, about two blocks from the elementary school that I oh. went to. Very, so very cool. you know, walking to school every day, and then yeah. walking you know, and walking home, and so I never had the bus experience. I was all sure. very in town. We were also just about two blocks from downtown Ironwood, so lots of strolls into town and um, walking with mom to the bank and sure. you know different places. Sure. So you know, it's just it was a really um, I don't know, just everything we needed was sort of right here and idyllic. Um, it, it was kind of idyllic, yeah. yeah. And uh, even into high school, I walked to school, and you sure. walk, walk the old railroad tracks, and um, yeah, it was it was a it was a great place to grow up. I can totally relate to you saying like, I, ha- I can't get too out of line because you'll like run into somebody that knows you. Right. I I went through a lot of that growing up. My dad was a, a high school football coach and. Also refed a lot of um, basketball for for boys and girls uh, varsity basketball. So it was one of those things where no matter where I went, somebody knew yeah. that I, you know who I was. So I kind of always had to be on alert. But so you mentioned graduating here from Ironwood as well. So right. that was around like 1993, correct? 93, okay. yes. And you, like many other people, you said when I graduate, I wanna. Oh, I wanted to get out. You wanted to get I, out, right? I was I was ready to go. I had <laughs> I had all the all the visions. Yeah. Um and I went, you know, here in the Western UP, a lot of us end up going to college in Wisconsin and Minnesota because it's sure. just, it's closer than mm-hmm. heading downstate. So I went to the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. Great school. Yeah. Um and for me it was the perfect kind of distance away. Three hours ish, far enough to be, to be away, close yeah. enough to come home. Yeah. So it was, you know, getting the kind of the state school experience, but it was not a huge school, so right. it was perfect for me. It was it was a great great place to go. Okay. And what what did you go to school for? What did would you pursue? Where you were so there? I was as a kid, I was very artsy. Okay. Uh, so community theater, yeah, ballet, 
singing, played like six different instruments, like wow. very musical, very into all that. And so okay. I, when I left here, I was going to be a music teacher. So that was what I, um, what my major originally was sure. in Stevens Point. And, um, and I was going to play my clarinet and sing down there. Uh, as a part of that. I did, after about a year, change my major. I think um, the whole being a business owner's kid thing uh, always had me thinking about business and sure, other things. Sure. And um, kind of luckily, Stevens Point is one of very few undergraduate programs in the country that has a degree in either arts management or arts administration. So wow. my degree is in arts management. Okay. I have a minor in music. Um which I know sounds like nothing to do with Stormy Crummer, right, but that, yeah. it is what it is. And um, it, at Stevens Point, it's basically I have I have a minor in music, a m- kind of a minor in communications, and a minor in business. So it's kind of those three things packaged together. And I was going to, in my mind, I was going to run off to some fabulous big city, and I was going to like <laughs> you know run the symphony orchestra or something like that. Um, so that's kind of what I had in my head. So that's what you had in your head. <laughs> what ended up being the reality of that then? Well, then there's always a boy that comes into oh, the story, those, right? Those damn, you know, those damn boys. Geez. So I met this great guy in Stevens Point, another musician. He um, born and raised in Milwaukee, but we met in Stevens Point, and he was actually a year behind me. He's a jazz drummer, and okay. um, he decided that he needed to finish his school um, at the University of North Texas. Okay. So it's about an hour north of Dallas. One of the biggest jazz schools in the country, so wow. it was a, kind of a big deal for him. And sure. um, I was thinking, oh boy, I gotta go to Texas. And then he proposed to me, so I really had to go to Texas. Yeah, well, then yeah. you're kind of obligated. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I graduated from college, and like we packed up our cars and moved to Texas. And um, I ended up getting a job with an organization at the time. It was called Young Audiences. Okay. And um, we did took community artists and performers mm-hmm. and programmed them into public schools. And it was a really cool um, first job, and it ended up being my only job in Texas. <laughs> um, but it did combine my earlier thoughts of education um, with my love of the arts. And then also it was, you know, we were a nonprofit and we were fundraising and doing all that sure. kind of good stuff too. So it kind of combined lots of things. And I was fortunate to, to join that organization when it was pretty small um, but on its way of really growing. Yeah. And um, the woman who hired me, her name is Gigi Antoni, uh, she really was a huge influence on me on showing, you know, that a, a woman can lead a really awesome organization and spearhead growth. And Very cool. be pretty significant, you know, yeah. in their field. So I, I went on a wild ride with that organization, ended up changing its name, becoming really big, becoming sort of a national leader in community arts education. And yeah. it, it was awesome. I mean, talk about being right in your wheelhouse. I mean, almost if you could like picture in your head what you went to school for, yeah, putting it into like job yeah. form. I mean, it was it was fantastic, and it happened to be an amazingly awesome group of people. Yeah, um, that I worked with, and you know, he we moved, you know, not only to a big, you know, not only from a small town to a big city, but from the UP to Texas. Sure. Huge culture shock. Oh, I bet. <laughs> um, everyone thought I was from Canada. <laughs> everyone thought I talked way too fast. Of course. Um, and so, yeah, it was, you know, it was these people that sort of took Dave and I under their wings. Sure. And many of them are still, like, very, very dear friends and who now want to come up and visit us in our oh, beautiful yeah. summers well, then, yeah, <laughs> from Texas. Great. So it was a, yeah, it was a, it was a great experience. And Dave finished school and... And we sort of just stayed. I had a yeah. cool job. Yeah. He started doing, um, he kind of realized that he didn't want to play in smoky bars for the rest of his life. So yeah, funny how that happened. Yeah, you yeah, you grew older. up a little bit. Yeah. And he had always done construction, so he started a construction company. And okay. I was doing my thing, and, and we were living the big city life. And, yeah. you know, thinking, buying a house, and, you know, doing what you do. Sure, so that was around... What, like from, uh, like a 12-year period, right? Yeah, Maybe 11, like, 12 years. Yeah, like, like 97-ish to... Like 2008. Uh, 2008, or, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. about 11 years, yep. give or take. Okay, yep. so we'll fast forward 11 years then. So what ended up really bringing you back up this way? Sure. So we always vacationed back here okay. from Texas and tried to find time in the summer to get up here and spend some time. So we a lot for that. And then my dad also, even though I wasn't in the business, mm-hmm. we would have these 
he still wanted to keep me informed of the business. Sure. So we'd have the kind of these family business meetings and talking with some of, you know, his outside advisors and just letting letting me, you know, my sister had always been in the business. So she okay. went to community college here in Ironwood and joined the business. Sure. So she'd been there, but I wasn't and I still wanted, you know, still part of my family and wanted to mm-hmm. know. And so we had one of these meetings and um, we were flying home from from one of those meetings and this was would have been in two th- 2008 and um Almost simultaneously, Dave and I looked at each other in the plane and said, oh, we need to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. It's time. And we had started, I think, to feel, I don't know, I, I almost feel like, it's going to sound super cheesy, but there is a piece of my soul <laughs> that belongs in the Midwest. Sure. And we had kind of just done the best we could in Texas, but it had, you know, just we really didn't have the patience for it anymore and the heat and the sure. we would try to escape out to east texas where there was kind of trees and yeah. lakes but it just it wasn't the same thing so that was building up and um and it just seemed like uh, it's time and i actually was coming back up here a few weeks later by myself for a, like the i don't know remember it must have been the 80th anniversary of the historic theater here in town and i was singing actually and I said to my dad, I, I need some time just with you this mm-hmm. weekend. And so we were sitting having coffee at his lake house. And, and I said, what would it be like if I came back? And he had asked me several times prior to that <laughs> if I would ever come back. And I said, never in a million years. So I, his jaw like hit, hit the counter. And uh, we started a conversation. And then, and then my other... The next call was to my sister. She was she's younger, sure, and kind of had always had the I don't I want to be different than Gina. I'm not like Gina. Everyone, you know, Gina, perfect firstborn. <laughs> this whole thing, right? Yeah. So the sibling I, dynamic. And we had yeah. gotten really close since okay. I had moved away. <laughs> since okay. I had moved away, we had gotten very close. Yeah, funny. And, <laughs> um, and I didn't want to ruin that. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure that coming back was cool with her too. Sure. So that's important. Talked with her, and she was like. When can you come? <laughs> <laughs> so we started the process then. I, it's funny to me. I mean, from talking, you just telling your story and the other Gina. Apparently, you know, I had the Michigan State bias first. Now I have a Gina bias. I only interviewed it's people. A great yeah. name. Yeah. So this coming back and vacationing back here, coming back and visiting. Yeah. And it's like the more you kind of keep coming back, the more you start like falling back in love with yep. your, your hometown. And then finally, like, deciding, like, okay, making this jump. And it's not an easy thing to do. There's a lot of stuff that you have to work out. I mean, as great as it is to think, hey, let's move home. There's a lot that goes into, okay, yeah, all right, we're going to pick ourselves up our whole life and and bring it back to our hometown. I I mean, I'm sure it had to have been a process. Yeah, I mean, for us, one of the things was... We had lived 1,500 miles yeah. away. And he, he had a business going? I, I mean, Yeah, and there was, but we were super independent. I mean, okay. we went to Texas. We didn't know a soul when we moved down there. So I had gone from being in this small town where everyone knows my last name, everyone knows who I am. Sure. I go to Texas, my last name doesn't mean a hill of beans of anything, <laughs> right? So right. I'm, how do you, you know, you got to find a mechanic you trust and what hospital do you go to? I mean, all these things that you just like overwhelmed and Dave and I, you know, together figured it out and so we ended up being really like just really independent and so one of our big worries was okay now we're gonna move back and there's gonna be like the pop-ins and the unexpected some people you know and like our parents are like right there (laughs) and are we still gonna be able to have that independence so exactly where we moved for us was the key and I well you know I'm gonna I know I'm on a UP podcast I'm gonna say I'm a bad youper (laughs) And I moved back 22 miles south of the border. Hey, that's okay. That's okay. There's a lot of there's a lot of people that live close to the border. I have dual citizenship. That's that, what I yes, say. Yes, that, that's more than okay. <laughs> so, obviously, your family name is synonymous with with Stormy Cromer to a lot of people. But I want to kind of take it back for just a, a minute, just really to where your family company started because I think that's almost just as important, you know, Jaguar fabric products. 
I mean, has been around this area since the late 50s. Yeah, we're celebrating 60 years in business this year, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, any company, let alone a company in the UP, you know, in the western part of the UP that that is around for 60 years is right. a, is a huge accomplishment. So, your dad kind of joined up uh, in the 70s, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Okay. So, from there, I mean, you guys have seen a lot of different expansion. Do you want to talk about some of the companies that, that you guys have worked with? I mean, I know you mentioned to me, uh, or you see in the news, like Boss Snowplow is mm-hmm. one that you guys have been working with. Yeah. Um, what about some of the other companies that people might know that you guys kind of work with on the non-stormy sure. commerce side of things? Sure. We make um, fishing rod cases for St. Croix rods. Uh, very cool. Yeah. And they're, you know, about an hour away in Park Falls, sure. Wisconsin. So, and they make their yeah. rods in the U.S. Now they're proud, you know, made American made yes. company. Yeah. Um, so that's been great. We have made uh, dog beds for um, various private label folks for a long sure. time. Um, one being Doctors Foster and Smith um, mm-hmm. out of Rhinelander, Wisconsin. We have lots of Wisconsin connections. Yeah. Um, so those are a few. We make products for a big medical company called Baxter Medical. We make um, awnings for Rainbow Play Systems, those okay. beautiful cedar backyard sure. swing sets that you get. Yeah. So we make the red, yellow, and blue awnings for them. We make some awnings for the RV industry. So we kind of, my dad is, is very much a craftsman at heart, even though he's now the CEO and sits in an office sure. most of the day. But he is a craftsman, and he just has always believed that if it's a sewn product, we could figure out how to make it. And um, I, I really believe that's one of the reasons why we've been around for 60 years. Sure. And I was looking around on on the website and checking some stuff out about, like, your history. Yeah. And I noticed that you had listed 682 American jobs have been created by by American or by, by Jaguar, mm-hmm. you know, fabric mm-hmm. products. I just think that that's in, incredible in and of itself. I mean, jobs, well, especially, I mean, obviously the con- economy's gotten a little bit better, but I mean, if you look over the years and you think, I mean, jobs are hard to come by. So, I mean, not only is your business here for 60 years and it's kind of standing this test of time, but how many people that you're giving a life, right. a, a life to, right. it, I mean... Yeah. It's crazy to wrap your head around. I, I can't imagine what it feels like for you. Just when I think about it, I mean, I, I get the I get the warm and fuzzies, but... It's, a, it's, you know, it feels like, you know, kind of a big responsibility, too. Yes. To keep things going and to grow and to make things better. Sure. Um, and we have some really amazing employees. We have folks who've been here 30, 35. We have one gentleman, years, we have a gentleman who has started here pulling out staples out of the couches when he was 15 and he's still working here and he's in his 50s um so we just we end up getting some some folks who who stick around and stay with us a really long time and that's you know it's an honor that someone's going to come and and give you 20 years of their life yeah and they work hard yeah i mean i I just yeah i mean you just took me on the tour of the the facility here which is super impressive if anybody listening if you have not come over to ironwood and and taken the tour uh, please do. It, it's a free tour. It's highly informative, but it's very impressive. Uh, you have what ninety thousand square feet or something, something like that. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's big. I mean, it's big time. Um, which is kind of a nice segue into. I mean, obviously, a big part of that is Stormy Cromer. Right. So, for those that are listening that don't know, Stormy Cromer was started by George Stormy Cromer and his wife Ida uh, back in the very early nineteen hundreds. Um, the company moved to Milwaukee in, in around like 1919 mm-hmm. um, and then was bought by Richard Grossman in 1965. Fast forward a little bit to the early 2000s and that's really where the Jackwarts come into play and I will kind of let you pick that up from there sure. because I think it's a, a very interesting story and you'll probably tell it way better than I can. Yeah, it's it's uh, definitely one of my things my dad talks about and you'll hear other entrepreneurs talk about is this... Um, notion of pluck right so you have to be you have to see opportunities and kind of grab them even if you maybe don't have a a huge plan which was definitely (laughs) the case here so um you know when i was a kid i wore cromer hats sure we all wore them here yeah they were men's hats and they were far too big for us but we wore them skiing and Mm -hmm. we would put our ski heel pins around the ear band and it was just and my dad you know everyone wore one so in like 2000, 2001, uh, a local 
uh, shop that sold the hats called down to Milwaukee to place an order for my hats and he was told that they were no longer making them. Uh, they, the Kramer Cap Company also um, still makes actually, uh, they're very lightweight cotton caps that like welders wear. A lot yes. of times they're polka dotted yep. or like yep. American flag. Yep. So their, their real success was happening with those caps so they weren't going to make the winter caps anymore. Sure. So this gentleman, Mark Fitting, called my dad right away and said, Bob, you've got a sewing factory. Cromer uh, hats can't cease to exist. Sure. Go go make them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my dad goes down to Milwaukee. He meets uh, Dick Grossman, as you mentioned, who is the owner. And um, Dick actually says to him during their meeting, the problem with this hat is that the entire demographic is within a 60-mile radius of Ironwood, Michigan. <laughs> And it'll never grow beyond that. So, my, with a really just like a gentleman's handshake, my dad buys the hat, basically. Sure. Sends a crew down there to watch them being made yeah. so we can learn all the steps. And, and, uh, and he brings it back. And, and there's all kinds of cool stories about it coming back, too, that we, you know, we can see if we want to get into some of them. But, uh, you know, and some of the cha- slight changes we made to the, to the hat when we took it on. What kind of changes did you make? So we really wanted to, you know, he wanted to honor this legacy, right? And it was already a 100-year-old hat or just sure. about when he bought it. But there are a few changes, and this will, you know, you can help determine the age of a hat if you see them around. So the, the main thing is the signature on the back. So once we started making the hats, we uh, embroidered Stormy Kermer's signature. Okay, it's not actually his signature. I wish that it was, but it is a... Yeah. It is an old-timey signature. It is. Um, with the 1903, and that goes on the back of every hat, and... And um, I mentioned on the tour that uh, the patent for the hand has been expired a long time, so someone could knock it off. And seeing that signature was a way to say, this is the real deal, right? It comes from the real deal. Um, He originally wanted to, you know, like on a red hat, the signature would be red. And on a blue hat, the signature would be blue because he was afraid, especially for the sort of older clientele who had been wearing a chroma cap their whole year, their whole life, that this would be too jarring if it was contrasted. And, sure. Uh, I know on some of your other episodes, you've talked about the Finnish population, right? So one of the old, yes. old Finns in town came, stormed into the store one day after, you know, early on when we were making the hats, and he pulls off his hat and he points at it at the back of it and he says, I can't read the signature. <laughs> so my dad figured if, um, if this old dude wanted to see the signature more prominently... He would do that. So we changed sure. that. We added the story in every hat, yes. so, which we hear lots of people talking about. Oh, you know, if someone gives me a compliment, I take off my hat and I read them the story. Yeah. You know, so it kind of tells that George and Ida story. Um, and the only other change that we made, it used to be, the brim used to be made out of, the inside of the brim was like a heavy canvas. Yeah. Um, then eventually it became like a cardboardy kind yep. of thing. Yep. Um, and we have changed it to a really flexible plastic. Nice. Um, mainly for durability, yep. you know, issues. So. Sure. Other than that, it's pretty much what Ida stitched up. Okay. So, so that was, your dad bought it around, bought, bought Stormy Cromer at around like 2001-ish, yeah. I believe. So, now you had mentioned you, obviously you didn't really get involved, like full-time involved until around like 2009 when you moved back. Mm-hmm. But obviously there were some other things that were added to the, like that Stormy Cromer line before you got back here. I know the ladies line came around like 2005-ish. I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about... Yeah, there was I mean, a few... Um, there were a few things added early on um, apparel-wise. The Mackinac coat, our kind of signature, yes. you know, premium men's coat, kind of the throwback hunting style, came pretty early. Um, a wool vest. I mean, we were you know, kind of looking to other wool-based outdoor companies, your Woolrich, Filson, that was kind of um, what what my dad was kind of going, you know, targeting at that sure. time, that kind of look. Um, the ladies, you know, the ladies thing early on, I'm going to say was a bit of a stretch. <laughs> so in the, in the, a lot of times you hear in like hunting and fishing or outdoor industry that ladies products, um, that the way you make ladies' products is you just shrink it and pink it. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, the first go at the ladies' hat was a pretty much shrink it and pink it kind of thing. Um, so, you know, we had a shorter brim, and of course yeah. there was a pink, and there yeah. was a white. and yeah. So 
that started. The real <laughs> kickoff to the ladies' line was the pedal pusher. Yes. Which happened after I was back. Okay. And I was actually, we're sitting here in my office, and I'm pointing at a closet. I was cleaning, I moved into this office, and I'm cleaning that closet out. And I pull out a man's black hat with a very crudely cut flower attached to the side of it. (laughs) And I pull it out. I'm like, what is this? And my dad said, well, that was your mom's idea. Now, my mom has not worked in the business for years. Okay. Um, And when she did, she did bookkeeping. Sure. So she She wasn't in product design. Yeah. So I said, well, what what happened with it? And he said, "I, I don't know. She just, she had that idea and... Just kind of didn't go anywhere. Okay. And I said, "This is a genius." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because what wasn't wasn't the flower just like scraps that were had been left over, essentially. Essentially. I mean, you said yeah. it was a crude flower, but yeah, it was kind of just you know she just took a piece of yeah pair of scissors and yeah, yeah, yeah. cut something out. Sure. Kind of attached it. Yeah. You know, not really great. So you know, we I was like, this you know, if we just put some time into this and get it right. This is going to be... Yeah, game changer. Game changer, absolutely. Um, So I don't even remember the the year that that was, but um, you probably found it in your research. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I did, but I don't want to sound like a know-it-all. That was huge, and I I do think... the whole ladies' line has been a lot of fun. Sometimes I say that Stormy's probably rolling around in his grave over, you know, pink flowers on his hats. But um, at least Ida is finally getting some recognition and, yes. and getting some tribute. So it's been the reception by women has been really fabulous. It's funny if I'm at a trade show or kind of out any kind of public thing, you still hear men that refer to it using. Well, it isn't. We call it an F word, but um, Elmer Fudd. Oh. You know, which we're not a fan of. And it is actually not the same hat, but okay. No. So, but but they have this, oh, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of, that's Elmer Fudd hat. And I, and I think, and I'll be wearing one of my, you know, pedal pushers. Sure. And I'm like, do I look like Elmer Fudd? Yeah. I'm thinking no. Yeah. And women just <laughs> feel like they look really cute. And like, they, yeah. they're warm, but it's fashionable and it's still kind of a statement. And it's just been really fun to embrace that whole new audience to the brand that was ignored for a hundred years. Absolutely. Yeah. And think of all the other things that have spawned from that, like for the ladies line. I mean, you've got, well, obviously different clothes, but I mean, you've got accessories and the mittens and I mean it bags. Yeah. The the tote bags and all that kinds of stuff. So I, I mean, it's interesting that dynamic, but just the whole thing in general, just because it's more than just, a product it's a it's a lifestyle it's truly a life a lifestyle it I, is it's and we're constantly humbled by that by the way people feel about this hat like we you on the tour you saw we have i don't know at least a dozen pictures on our back picture board of weddings where yeah. the entire wedding party is wearing stormy Cromer caps yeah we have probably at least half a dozen, if not a dozen times, someone has called us and said, I just closed the casket on my grandpa, and his Cromer went with him. Like, wow. this is a fairly common occurrence to us. It's crazy. It's cr- And then on the other end of the spectrum, new babies. Sure. In fact, we just, in fact, uh, I think he's Stormy's great, great, I don't know, three greats, maybe, sure. grand nephew. Yeah. His parents wanted to be sure that he, or actually they just had a daughter, that she had a Kermer on in record time. Like they wanted her to be the quickest to have a hat on. (laughs) So we have these, you know, spanning your whole life that your Kermer hat is a significant part of that. We have stories about hunting camps where, you know, when you're finally old enough to come to hunting camp for the first time, you wear a red Cromer because that shows that you're a rookie. Sure. And then next year when you're back for year two, you graduate into your black Cromer. Like all kinds of stories like that. And I don't, you know, I don't know how common that is with other articles of clothing. I, I mean, I'm honestly, sure there's some, but, and I don't want to sound, you know. But, but it's, but it's, it's yeah. pretty... And we're not always entirely sure, like, 
what it is about the hat that makes people feel that way. But we we consider it a huge responsibility yeah, it, to keep that going and to honor, you know, the way sure. people feel about our products. It, I think a lot of it, from the outside looking in, as somebody who's worn Stormy, Cromer, stuff, you know, hats and stuff for most of my life, for me, I think the big thing is is the best word I could describe it with is authenticity. It's been around for so long. And so you've seen everybody that you've known your whole life wear it. You know, your grandpas, great grandpas. So to me, at least when I think about it, it's, it's authentic because it's what you've always known. It, you've always seen it around. So it's not like the latest, greatest trend. Right. Right. And so it's, it's a combination of authenticity and the nostalgia the nostalgia factor too mm-hmm. and it, it's powerful mm-hmm. it's it's really really powerful um what are some other new product i mean you guys just started a pet line and do you yeah. want to talk a little bit about that you've had a couple yeah. new things you're always coming up with some new things but the pet line's been really fun uh, yeah so we for years we would get people would send us pictures of you know taking their hat and sort of putting it on their dog and it sure. looking kind of goofy but I mean, it just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And, you know, we've been making pet products here as a larger company for 30 years. So we have this expertise. And, but I knew I couldn't, you know, I can't sell a $50 dog hat. Like that's that's, (laughs) not going to fly, right? So you have to figure out how to, you know, make it, make it work and make it look like a Cromer, but, you know, it's still just a, a dog hat. And so we have these great folks here that help on the new products you know we're not in new york or chicago or la where i got fashion designers (laughs) you know all over right and so mostly what we how we approach new products and how we work on them is i've got a couple of folks who are you know excellent at making things and sewing things and we just figure things out um We've got base patterns that we work from, but things like a dog chromer, there's no base pattern, right? No, so yeah, yeah. We sit down with my team and like, guys, I really think if we can do this in such a way that we can keep it a, you know, it's still an expensive dog hat. I get that, but you know, manage the cost. Sure. Make it look like a chromer. Make it work well. Um, and the team just did awesome. I mean, they, they are did awesome. awesome. We were able to, we use fleece rather than yeah, wool. We don't yeah. want our dogs to be itchy. You know, sure. some dogs might have an issue. So we have printed fleece. Um, my sister also helped on the line because she had worked on the pet product business here for a long time. Okay. We have a Hope Animal Shelter is literally around the corner from us here in the industrial park. Okay. And so we were running over there trying on, <laughs> all right, what kind of dogs you got this week? We need to try a large on and see if what <laughs> breeds it fits. So we were trying stuff on down uh-huh. there and um, it's been so fun. We have jackets and a great dog bed and bandanas. Um and I'm just really pleased with how it turned out. It's a small collection, but I already I feel like it's gonna be it's gonna be a hit. I, I think so too. I have the the handkerchief for my dog, and I absolutely love it. It's because it's durable. Um, a lot of other times when you put like a handkerchief on your dog, it's just like a little cloth one that you right. get for a dollar or no, whatever that's at Shopco. Same flannel on our shirts. Yeah, you know, it's, it's no, it's serious. the same. Yeah, it's the real deal, and he looks great in it too. So that <laughs> he helps out a lot, but. <laughs> Um, one other cool partnership I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about was um, just this past winter you had done a partnership over at the Ordock Brewery yeah. for your, your six-pointer beer, which the beer was delicious, but the story behind it was just kind of cool, That a little bit of history about what a six-pointer is. Do you want to talk, sure. talk a little bit about it? Yeah, so one of the great, this is an example of a great story that was passed on to us mm-hmm. from the Cromer Cap Company, but if you sort of imagine the top of a Cromer Cap, or similar to a baseball cap, it's got the six sort of triangle-shaped pieces, and they come together all in one one spot. Um, so early on in the history of the the brand, when Stormy was still working on the railroad and selling, you know, his main customer base was his mm-hmm. fellow workers. Um, so it became really popular for these railroad guys to be wearing. And when they would travel um, from town to town, and they wanted to kind of find uh, like-minded people. They would poke their head into a bar or saloon and just say, hey, are there any six-pointers in here? Um, And so it became synonymous not just with the hat but with, you know, men who worked on the railroad. Sure. So it was a way for them to connect with, you know, people that they knew they'd have something in common with. And so uh, naming the beer a six-pointer we thought was 
really cool as well. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I love that you guys are willing to do all of these different partnerships. You know, you had mentioned, you know, you've done some stuff with Boss Snowplow and the, the St. Croix, you know, mm-hmm. rods. And so these are American companies, you know, made in the USA. Right. You you guys still are to this day. I mean, everything's made in the USA, yeah, right? Yeah, everything's um, cut and sewn. Right, yeah. Mostly here, a large percentage of it here in um, in our Ironwood factory. Um, we do, uh, we've got some expanding operations in central Wisconsin. Yes. Uh, kind of in the Wausau area, which has been great for us. Mm-hmm. We are really proud of our partnership with an organization called the New Life Center in yes. Flint. Um, so they sew mostly our outfitter vests. So those are the kind of sporty zip-up vests that we sell for men and women. Um, but the New Life Center is run by two um, two nuns who are like salt of the earth angels, you know, walking among, yes, us, among us kind of, of people. Um, and the New Life Center is a whole host of services for folks just coming off a bad time. Sure. Um, whether it be, you know, homelessness or, you know, some severe um, financial issues or even, you know, addiction issues, things like that. They have a food pantry and a library and daycare and, um, you know, a gym and just all this stuff. And they have a few work kind of work training programs. Yeah. And one of them is industrial sewing. Sure. Um, so about, oh, might be three years ago now, they loaded up a van and brought these women here to train. Wow. These women had, like, forget being in the UP. Like, I don't think they'd ever been out of Flint. Sure, like, this yeah. This was a huge life experience for them. So they drove up here. They would spend the day here at the factory learning how to make a few products. And then we tried to give them, we took them into Lake Superior. We took okay. them up Copper Peak. Yeah. We, you know, made sure they had pasties. Like, okay. we tried to give them... The, the full you... The per, full, yeah. yeah. And um, it's just been great. Most of those women that came to visit us are still working there. And uh, we do have a special hang tag on those vests, so you can read more about them. And, sure. Uh, but it's just... It's been great um, for them to, to help us as well. Okay. So, obviously, it, it's amazing that you guys are still, can say, made in the USA. That's something to totally hang your hats on. No pun intended. Uh-huh. What are some of the difficulties with that? I mean, because I obviously staying made in the USA can't be an easy thing. No, because if, if it was easy, there'd be a lot more of us. Right? Doing I was going to say, right? yeah, like, everybody'd be doing. It's it. hard. It's um, and 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 with our main operations being in a very in a small town. I sure. mean, I don't know what the population of Ironwood is these days. Probably around five thousand. You know, yeah. what does the county have ten thousand? Something mm-hmm. like that. Um, it's hard to you know finding people is a challenge. That, um, it is part of the reason we, we're expanding to some other places, just trying to look for people. Um, you know, we don't, people aren't trained to sew yeah. anymore, right? No, not so anymore, we have yeah. To, we have to have that um, and have the, the resources to train people. But, I mean, really the biggest, the biggest thing is people say they want Made in America, but they still have to get to that point where they pull out their wallet and their credit card and they have really real decisions to make, right, yep. about their budgets and what they're spending money on. And mm-hmm. um, it's just a fact that we are more expensive, that you can sure. you can buy a winter hat for a lot less. Sure. Now, we try to always tell you what the value and they're guaranteed for life and, you know, all these things that, that add up to that. But there's still, there, you still have to get over that barrier. And I think for the most part with hats... That we can do that, but it's when we get, you know, we we want to be more than just hats. We want to be a whole brand that yeah. you can wear from head to toe. And it's just, we have to right now at least we have to find the products that can be made at a cost that we feel is competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just certain things we can't do. Like we could never make a, a backpack with tons of pockets and zippers yeah, and little yeah. compartments because that's all labor. Yeah. And we could we just can't compete with sure. coming out of other countries. Yeah. Um, you know, when you took this tour, our place is air conditioned. Uh, yeah. You know, we have very like normal working hours. It's clean. Yeah, sure. um, yeah. People have insurance. There's 401k. I mean, you know, there's these that that's just very different than the labor, you know, that we're competing against when Absolutely. you're in a store. And yeah. So it's a matter of finding, you know, keep trying to tell our story. It's why we love the tour. We love showing people like, hey, these people are like your neighbors and they're, mm-hmm. 
they're here making this stuff for sure. you, you know. Um, and we need to find retailers that are willing to tell that story and yeah. put a premium on that. But, you know, it's certainly, you know, our flannel shirt is $99. Right. Well, that's a lot for a flannel. I get that that's a lot for a flannel shirt. It's what it costs, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> you, it, that's, always a, that's always a challenge. Certainly. And uh, you had mentioned before, like, when your dad w- was purchasing Stormy Cromer that, that Dick had mentioned to him while you're – you're basically your your prime target is about sixty miles around right. Ironwood. Yeah. Obviously, it's extended a little bit yeah. further than that. Yeah. But I mean, do you still struggle with like that that Midwest Huge. kind of? Yeah. We're still Michigan is still like by a lot. Sure. Our biggest sales, which is really kind of funny. A little segue. You know, so most of our Michigan customers, I think, think it started in Michigan. Oh, in fact, that, I've had people arguing yeah. with me that I'm wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> that Stormy was from Kakana, so that's funny. Yeah. But Michigan has just, I, I think because of our manufacturing history as a state, there's this huge pride about made in Michigan, right? And yes. so that's, we love that. And it's yeah. fantastic. And it really is just as strong downstate as it is in the UP. Sure. Like, across the state, we have huge support, huge fans. But it is a challenge to think about how do we take that because I believe there's more to love about the brand than just that it's made in Michigan. Right? Absolutely. And how do you translate that? Michi- uh, Wisconsin is obviously, you know, our second biggest state. Minnesota's right there, but it starts to diffuse as you as you get farther away from the upper Midwest. And and yes, we have dealers all over the country. Well, let's say the northern half, of, sure. You know, but from coast to coast, but there's not that level of intensity um, that there is here. And and, and you talked about it too, you know, thinking about the nostalgia on my grandpa always wore one. Yeah. How do we, how do we convince, you know, a rancher in Wyoming that this is a great hat when sure. he doesn't have that history and that legacy? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're working on that. It's like we got to figure out there's, there's some kind of magic fairy dust that we got to sprinkle on some other states <laughs> and, and get it going. Well, and I think one thing that really helps, and actually I talked the majority of my conversation in my prior episode with, with John Spigarelli was about e-commerce sure. and, and the internet yeah. i mean you guys purchasing stormy cromer right around 2001 is really like when the boom started going on where internet sales mm-hmm. started just taking off like gangbusters right so i mean you've been here or or seen i mean do you want to talk a little bit about what how that's kind of changed stormy cromer or i guess you know helped it in, a, sure. in certain ways sure I mean, I mean it's been when i came back in early 09 it was kind of when businesses were figuring out they should be on social media. Sure. Right? So it was kind yep. of the start of that. Yep. We need a Facebook page, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. like that was kind of, <laughs> then that was it back then. Um, so, to, you know, certainly, you know, a company our size in our geography, that is a huge platform to get the brand out there. Yeah. And we still, as we expanded our product line, um, we had a lot of stores that still wanted to focus on the hats. Mm-hmm. So the, the internet did give us a platform to show folks that we were more than just a hat, right? Sure. Um, and in the parts of the country where there wasn't a dealer, you know, that that they could buy stuff from us. It's, it, you know, it's it's been interesting for us. For a brand, I think e-commerce is interesting because there's this balance between our brick-and-mortar retailers who do amazing things for us and are putting products in people's hands every day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then us, all of a sudden, selling directly mm-hmm. um, through a website. And so we try really hard to, to balance that and, um, you know, we're not the kind of website you're going to get a sale every other week and you yeah. know, we, we have pricing policies and mm-hmm. we want to, you know, keep things equitable across Absolutely. our dealers. But it does, for someone our size in the Western UP, it is a way for us to connect with someone who lives in Seattle sure. or Portland, Maine or mm-hmm. these places that should kind of get into the story. Right, thing, you yeah. Know, if we can reach them. Yeah. So, um, you know, we try to use... We also try to use social media really for brand awareness, mm-hmm. which in turn helps our retailers as well. You know, so just yeah. growing the brand, doing some more stuff. We've got some great um, campaigns and plans we want to run this fall, um, but we need to we need to keep reaching new audiences, and mm-hmm. that's you know, it's been I, a challenge. I think the social media plays such a huge role too. I imagine you guys just get pictures from tons. All it's over awesome. and everywhere, you know, yeah. and you guys are great with like your, you know, my stormy hashtags. And I mean, they got, it's all over. I mean, it's worldwide. So I, 
I, I know I check out the hashtag a lot. I, I think right. that that part of it's cool, too. It's love seeing different people in different places doing yes. different things, you know, all wearing their hat. So it's yeah, it's always cool. So how many guys, I shouldn't say guys, how many people do you currently have employed then, like, overall d- through both, the whole I guess? Company? The whole company. Yeah, the whole company and including our... Um, facility in wisconsin we have about 150 full-time employees okay. yeah so here probably around like 100 uh, around 100 around yeah. 100 mm-hmm. so again that that goes back to you're putting in a very small town right. putting 100 people to work yeah i mean that's again that's huge where i mean obviously you can't give away too much of what you have coming up here but i mean where do you see things heading for for you guys moving forward here Without, without giving away the secret recipe too much. Right. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, we're, we're wrapping up our 2019 products line actually right now. Okay. Um, the retail cycle kind of forces mm-hmm. us to do that. Um, there's certainly some expansion in pet. I think pet is going to continue to be a big category for us. Um, we actually partnered with Kalamazoo College. Um, oh, wow. did, um, with one of their business classes and um, one of the student groups did some research and um, they came up with like over 70% of Stormy Cromer owners are dog owners. <laughs> uh, so that's a pretty high correlation. So we want to keep, um, keep expanding there and uh, using our, our years of expertise to, to bring out some, some good products. Um, you know, I think if I look just down the road and look a little further, I, I think you're going to see us finding other um, domestic manufacturers that we can partner with to expand our line. Like, we can't be good at everything. Sure. And we don't have the right equipment to do everything. Sure. Um, and do all sorts of products. So um, we're kind of on the hunt to find um, other folks that we can partner with that that are experts. In fact, for instance, um, our shirt production is moving to a factory that all they do is make shirts. Oh, okay. Here in the U.S. Yeah. Um, but they make shirts all day long. And... Uh, we did a fine job making shirts, but we, you know, it was there was a lot of time invested in that, and and we're really good at making hats, <laughs> and we're really you good are. at making big wool outerwear, sure, um, and that's what sort of our folks are trained to do. So we're going to focus on what more of what we do best, and look for some other partners so that we can expand our line. We would, I would love to have a, a larger bag offering than we do. Um, we just lack some of the equipment and some of the experience Um, I'd like to do even more shirts I'd like to do I'd love we used to do wool pants I'd love for us to get back into that yeah that would be great just looking um there uh we're also working on some I don't know we're just re-looking at some of our messaging Mm -hmm. and how we can capture some of that stuff you talked about the nostalgia the sense of place um the authenticity and just make that more clear to people that that's what we're about like we're yeah. kind of about that we happen to do it through a hat right yes like to say we're a hat company just like kind of doesn't no doesn't do it so so we're working on that, that's interesting some new, some new marketing uh, messages from us and interesting some new campaigns and yeah and there's there's we're also i can't give details but we're working on a few more like super cool collaborations that i think are going to be really awesome um coupled with some michigan companies um yeah. Fun. Yeah. Very fun. Well, I mean, you, you did one with Carhartt. That was super yep. cool. I mean, they're down near Detroit. That so that was really awesome. And we can't, I, I can't believe I, when we were talking about some of the other stuff with like the internet and different things, I can't believe I missed this, but your brand ambassador stuff. I mean, yeah. that, that was, that was big for helping you kind of spread your reach too, it because that kind of started with you finding in my opinion cool people doing cool stuff that that fit the brand image not not just located here in the midwest right and so you had all these people all over doing this really awesome stuff kind of repping the brand for you and then you took it a step even further with the the cromer society and that was more kind of locally based right right. and kind of a grassroots effort yeah so it's almost kind of like Instead of using the internet, you're going back to, like, without the internet, like, word of mouth, like, feet on the street. That's a big part of it. It I mean, is. It's, and, and people love 
to tell the story. People who own the hat love to tell the story to someone who doesn't own a hat. We actually just sort of did this uh, informal surveying of our ambassadors and mm-hmm. the Commerce Society folks because we were trying to dig into this more. Like, what is it? And the, the amount of people that... So one of the questions we asked them was, um, you might have a closet full of hats, right? Mm-hmm. But why do you grab your Stormy? What, why? That day, why? And so many people said, because I know someone's going to stop me. <laughs> and I'm either going to get a compliment yep. or they're going to say, what? what is that hat? And, and it does connect you to people. It does. Um, so for us to kind of do ambassadors all online didn't really, it is about that word of mouth. It's about, I'm going to give you this gift. I, someone told us, why, we asked, why do you give it as a gift? Someone said, because, you know, this is important for the people that I care about to know about this product. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, I don't feel that way about this shirt I'm wearing today. No, or, you know, or yeah, whatever. Any, yeah. um, so it's powerful stuff. It, it really, really is. And it's exciting to hear you talk about it because obviously you're super passionate about it. But to also see it like in action, I mean, you're not resting on your laurels. I, I, I mean, let's be honest. It would be super easy for you guys to just say hats are our bread and butter we do it well, we're going to just be a hat company and we're going to just keep selling a buttload of hats and that's going to be our MO. Mm-hmm. But you're not resting on that. Mm-hmm. You're you're pushing forward. You're, you know, like you said, you're looking to expand. I mean, you said on the tour, we're always looking for good people to hire. I mean, yeah. you're looking to add more jobs and more things to do and, and expand it here and grow this. And, I mean, that's got a ripple effect throughout the community, not just for your company. I mean, oh, I mean, and it's like the people that come here on a tour. People come to Ironwood for our tour. There were tw- like there were thirty people in, and, and you know, oftentimes we're the reason they came to Ironwood. Yeah, right. Which again is very humbling to us. Yeah, but that means they're eating. They might eat lunch somewhere. Yeah. Maybe they're staying overnight somewhere. Sure, they're buying gas. Right, all these things. Yeah. Over a 45 to 60 minute <laughs> free factory tour, which we love giving and we love yeah. having them here. We've had a really busy summer for tours. We have awesome. been just like really putting a lot of people through. There was a young man on the tour who it was his 20th birthday today. And this is what he wanted to do for yeah, his birthday. for his birthday. Is come here. Uh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's, it, it's, it's awesome. Like to come to work every day and yeah there's stress and there's deadlines and there's all these people problems all these things right that business has but at the end of the day I give a tour like I did today and it's all worth it because that's that's why we're here and I don't know if you noticed um, but we're starting we realize that some of the people that work here don't know some of these stories <laughs> that we tell on the tour right because they we just you know sign them sure. up get them to work get them yeah, on the line right yeah so there was about four ladies who sew on the Kramer line who came over to listen to my introduction today. Really? Because, yeah. We just started doing that because uh, we realized they I didn't, don't, I they didn't don't know some that. of these things. I didn't notice that. And, um, you know, they need to know it too. Sure. Like if, if, if they're new to town, they probably don't know my grandpa started this company 60 years ago. No. And, you know, all that stuff. So we want, you know, they're a big part of it and having them involved at that level. And, and, and it's good for them to see... <laughs> That all these people are here yes. to watch them sew stuff. It does, I mean, because, it's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely a sense of pride, yeah. for sure. Yeah, And I love that you mentioned, well, first off, that the tour stuff is booming. But then you said, okay, people then are coming here and spending money and doing different things. And obviously then other business-minded people have noticed that. I mean, Contrast Coffee started here in Ironwood. And now they're Marquette. They're adding a location in Iron Mountain. I mean... Yep. They're growing, yep. okay? There's a brewery here yep. now in Ironwood, which is huge. I mean, it's like if you build it, they will come. Right. You know, that type of type of a vibe that 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 is all from you guys just doing what you do on a daily basis. Well, I, I'm not going to take credit. But, uh, well, you know, I, I mean, I, we're a no, piece of the but, story. There is, yes. a, there is some cool stuff happening in Ironwood there right is. now. That, you know, it's... Even it wasn't happening when I first came back here in 2009. Sure. There no. is a really good energy, and there's great things happening downtown. Like you mentioned, Contrast 
cold iron brewing, um, bake superior bread. Yes. Great. Another great new business. Mm-hmm. Um, our downtown businesses are staying open late on Friday, the first Friday of the month. Awesome. Uh, our park, uh, the depot park, which is right downtown has got farmers markets and yeah. music and all kinds of stuff. Like you go to, downtown Ironwood on a Friday night and you can't find a place to park like that was not happening that's a good problem it's a really good problem that was not happening when I moved back here and so uh if we can be a part of that uh we love it you know it's it's great if we can be a part of bringing people to Ironwood um and then they can see the other things that we have and Copper Peak and the ski hills and the waterfalls yeah we have you know all those things that are here yeah we have to talk about Copper Peak because that's you're on the cusp of something really big there too um, for those listening in, Copper Peak is ski flying, which is even bigger than ski jumping. Obviously, down in Iron Mountain, Pine Mountain, there you're known for their ski jump tournament every year. But ski flying is even bigger. That's like what they do in the Olympics. And the the jump here at Copper Peak is the biggest one in the Western Hemisphere, for sure in North America. Yep. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you and your dad have been doing with that? Yeah, it, it's been a, re, a huge passion project for my dad. Um, so Copper Peak hasn't, I don't think they've had a jump since 94. Yeah, that sounds about something right. Something like that. Um, but the facility has been maintained and kind of has survived through this amazingly loyal group of folks, many of them former ski jumpers, yep. um, who have kept it going as a tourist attraction. So for the last 20, 25 years, you can um, ride this the chairlift and then ride this, like, I forget how many stories it is, 26 stories or something yeah. like that, elevator, and then you walk another eight stories to have this <laughs> thing. And uh, it's it's just a few miles south of Lake Superior. You've got this just amazing panoramic view. Sure. You feel like you're on top of the world. So yeah. it's it's been maintained through selling tickets to mm-hmm. go to the top. Um, but there has been a renewed interest at the international level to get it jumping again. Uh, and so my dad's been very involved with that. Um, what they would like to do is um, have it actually to do summer ski jumping. So this gets sure. a plastic surface. Yep. There's a uh, surface like that in Park City and a few other places in yeah. the U.S. But um, the 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 goal is to have Olympic level, you know, the best in the world coming here to jump. Um, it's going to take some money, which is the piece my dad's been sure. working on, the fundraising piece. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, you know, we're not there yet, but we think we're close. You're close. Uh, You're yeah, so close. there's well, some and... things like, you know, we hope to be making some announcements, but, um, you know, we're, we're working a lot of different angles, and it, it could be just huge um, for this area. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, not just for Ironwood and the surrounding areas, but to reestablish the UP as a real you know, American center of ski jumping. Again, Absolutely. With, with the other, you know, hills that are here. I yeah. Mean, I mean, ski jumping was like the, this was the place to, to right. ski jump. I mean, um, that's the reason why the Ski Hall of Fame is in Ishpeming. Right, right. You know, the National Ski Hall of Fame is because of that. And, you know, Pine Mountain, they've been keeping it going for, what, 70 years, right. I think, last year, which is just amazing in yeah. and of itself. They've kept it going that long. But they're in the same boat a little bit as far as they need to come up with some funds to get everything, you know, as far as the requirements right. now with safety and stuff right. to keep things going. And, you know, it's important stuff and it's part of our heritage and our history and it, it matters. And it's yeah. awesome that, you know, folks like you and your dad and, and these diehards that have, right. you know, either were former ski jumpers or have just been involved. Just or Yeah, they just love it and are, are you know, keeping it alive. So... Yeah, and those, you know, those events draw a lot of people. They Lots. They bring people to this area, and there's, again, staying in hotels and And it's fun. If you've and, ever if you've oh. never been to a ski jumping event, I, I tell people all the time, if you've never been to Pine Mountain before, go and experience it, it at least once. It's impossible to not have a good time. Yep. Totally agree. So, one final question, which you listen to my podcast, so you already know the question that's coming. <laughs> Ketchup or gravy on your pasty? Okay, no question. Ketchup. Ketchup. And I have to, I have an an addition. An addition. Yeah, chocolate milk. Okay, you have to have chocolate yeah. milk. Okay. I don't know why that's how we grew up. Chocolate oh, milk. Okay. Well, because and 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 I'm a cut in half gal. Oh, you got to cut it in I'm, half. I'm a holding. Okay. I'm a holding the hand gal. Okay. So uh, that's my full disclosure on the pasty uh, that's, situation. That's interesting because we've had like, we've had the jalapeno <laughs> ketchup. And no, just, just you know, Heinz. Yeah, no. Um, other a lot, a lot of people feel like you shouldn't put anything on it. What did John mention? 
when I was talking with him, I, I, he was yeah, talking. Yeah, is the anti-condom yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. Well, I, I can't thank you enough, number one, for, for giving me the tour. Um, it was absolutely incredible. Um, and sitting down and, and chatting with me about this, um, I love everything that you guys are doing. And like I said, I'm a, a fan more than anything else. So this has been a very kind of like geeking out my <laughs> girlfriend was teasing me when we were taking the tour she's like i don't think you've quit smiling since we started walking <laughs> through here i just kind of had that, awesome. that that ear-to-ear grin but thank you again for for coming on and this has been a lot of fun absolutely thanks so much that'll wrap things up for episode five it's time for my takeaways from my chat with gina my first takeaway is actually more of an opinion and I have the opinion that Ironwood is an absolutely great place to visit. My girlfriend and I spent the weekend there camping on the shore of Lake Superior, hiking to the many waterfalls in the area, and exploring local establishments like the brewery that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Add to that the tour that we got from Gina and really everything else in between, and Ironwood truly is a gem in its own right. My next takeaway is the idea that Gina talked about of plucking or seizing the opportunity when it presents itself, even if you don't have a clear plan in place. I think personally or professionally, this is a great piece of advice. Obviously, it may not always work out, but even if it doesn't, I mean, that's how we grow is by pursuing opportunity. My last takeaway from chatting with Gina is, at the end of the day, authenticity outweighs everything else. Their family business, and also Stormy Cromer, have survived as long as they have because they have honest, caring, hardworking people involved. If you can be authentic to yourself and genuine to your family, friends, coworkers, clients, or customers, you're going to come out on top in the long run. I can promise you that. Chat It Up is a bi-weekly podcast about all things Upper Peninsula of Michigan. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and leave me a review. You can also find Chat It Up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you everyone for listening in. I'm your host, Shooter, reminding you to keep your chin up and your eyes forward. <laughs>